0: Welcome to Sports with Chris Rawl. I am Chris Rall, and I'm here to talk about sports. On today's show, the NFL season is drawing to a close, and it's time to reflect on the journey before we get to the end. The end does not define the journey. This is something that I personally believe And not everybody shares this belief. Uh, Some people think that the end does define the journey, and depending on how that end occurs, it could erase everything that came before it. Not too long ago, I watched a movie. It's called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It was released in the early 2000s. It's with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. Pretty good movie, actually. Um, But if you read between the lines of what that movie is trying to say, Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, couple go through all these great things. They arrive at the end and they determine that the pain of the ending overrides everything that came before it. All these beautiful moments and memories that we have. That was cool. And we enjoyed them while they were there. But this ended so poorly that we don't want them anymore. And the movie is about them wanting to Extract all of those memories, good and bad, from their mind because the ending for each of those people defined the journey. You read between a lot of the subtext of that film and you go, oh, this is interesting to, to me because it represents the opposite of, of what I believe. It represents that the ending can define a journey if you let it, if that's the way that your brain is wired, if the ending is so particularly uh, overwhelming that, that you just can't remember anything that came before it, all of that kind of stuff. Um, for me, that's a really sad way of looking at anything. I'm a much bigger journey person than I am any person. And I think that comes for a variety of reasons, but at the most basic level, it's because I understand that we are finite beings on a finite planet. and when both of those things combined, everything has to end sooner or later. Uh, Whether actual death on a more morbid scale or just the miniature living and dying that you go through with with people who come in and out of your life, uh, just all of the things that you do, period. All of these journeys have specific starting points and end points. And so when you realize everything's got to end sooner or later, well, that's when I start thinking and building up the case that, all right, if everything ends, then you just got to ride with it while it's there and, you know, live within the moment the best you can and feel good about it until it's gone. And then, you know, you can pause and think about things from start to finish. But I don't ever think that the finish is going to eliminate what came before it. I was reflecting just kind of about this because I do that periodically, especially in the way that I watch sports. And I was doing this on Sunday night as two of my favorite teams were playing simultaneous to one another. Green Bay Packers, they were hosting the Chicago Bears on Sunday night football. And the Colorado Avalanche were hosting the Florida Panthers. Florida Panthers, best team in hockey so far this season. Colorado Avalanche, they were the best regular season team in hockey last season. It's two really, uh, for me, cool games going simultaneous to one another that I was fired up for, and I was watching it by myself. And as it was going on, I was really reflecting upon this particular thing, just how cool it is to be a part of the journey, even if the end is most, most, most times in sports. Not what you want it to be. Uh, With the Colorado Avalanche, there's a decent portion of the NHL fandom and the Colorado Avalanche fandom that have kind of soured on their existence because it hasn't yet resulted in a Stanley Cup. And they say, make it out of the second round of the playoffs before we start caring about you. You know, you just, you don't know how to win in the playoffs. Granted, you've only been really good for two years, but two years is a long time. And you guys don't know how to win, so we don't care about what's going on. And again, that's that's very sad for me to listen to as a person who values the journey. Because if that's your mindset, then you're going to miss out on games like last night, the Avalanche and the Panthers. About as good of a hockey game as you could ever find. If I were just compiling stuff, share with somebody who doesn't watch hockey and try to get them into the sport. A game like last night would be a very good place to start. It was all of the things that go into this sport that can be magnetic. It was as fast as you're going to see. Two teams that are just flying up and down the ice. High level skill every which way. Just rosters littered with talent. It was it was violent. Sometimes really uncomfortably so. Especially on a hit on Jacob McDonald on the avalanche. He gets knocked out and stretched it off the ice. And it, that part you don't love, but it's also part of the DNA of the game. Uh, it was. It turned after that point into a very physical game. There was fights, there was clean, hard body checks. And ultimately there were two incredible margin plays that decided the outcome of the game. Now, when the margins decide the game within the journey... It's a lot easier for me to reflect in a more neutral manner, be grateful that it goes my way when it does and not feel like I've fallen into the abyss when it doesn't. It's easier to do that within the journey. Last night, the two margin plays, it's a tie game 2-2 and Andre Burakovsky for Colorado possesses one of the great underrated shots in the entire sport. About three minutes to go in regulation. He gets it in a spot that just, It's not that dangerous. There's no screen, but because of who the shooter is, he unleashes a bomb from between the high circles that just beats Bobrovsky. It's a cannon of a shot. And it goes in and I jump out of my chair and and I'm just going, that was so good. It capped off a hat trick of a night for Burakovsky, the first of his career. All three goals were A-plus material. Just high-level ability to put the puck in the net. That's what gives the Avalanche the lead. Then they're trying to fend off the Panthers in the final minute. And what ends up deciding the game? The second margin play. 10 seconds to go. Darcy Kemper's in net. He's scrambling around. Panthers get the puck. They shoot it on net, and Kemper doesn't know where it is. And Eric Johnson, defenseman of Colorado, he blocks the shot from going in. They smother it up. They end up winning the game. Two margin plays. An incredible shot from an incredible player from a place that not a lot of people are going to score from. And then a scramble drill where a defenseman stops the puck from going into the net. Last night, I'm way fired up about it because it's a great hockey game. My favorite team won. The two margin plays, I can go, yes, the avalanche. They know how to win. Look at these two rise to the occasion style moments. When it goes against you, especially come playoff time, Those are infinitely more difficult to swallow. But we're not talking about the ending. We're talking about the journey and we're talking about why I think it is so fulfilling for me and why I think it can be so fulfilling for for everybody because it's a reminder of why I like this thing, why I do this thing, why I sit down and watch this sport. And, And then again, it's also a reminder of why each particular end to a season can be so Frustrating because when the margins go against you, your brain is going to struggle to compute how these games are decided and the way that we craft these incredible narratives based upon just what seems like random chance. Colorado Avalanche, they can't get out of the second round of the playoffs. Yes, that is technically true so far within these last few years. At the same time, it's stuff like this that decides those games. It's just you're walking on a razor's edge. If it goes your way, great. If not, you go home and say, keep putting yourself in position to succeed and hope that you break through. Those are things that I talk about a lot on the show um, on a wins and losses level. But as far as this journey, the, the spiritual side of sports, just what you extract from it as a viewer, this is a really good case to be made for living in the moment. Uh, if everything ends, as I established that it does, then you enjoy it as long as you have it, and when the time comes, you let it go so that is easier said than done on on a grander scale whether that's with relationships whether that's with literal life and death moments Uh, it's a lot harder to do that sometimes within life and you gotta let it go when somebody goes out of your life that was in it for a long time and that's a that's a painful process obviously and You gotta work through that kind of on your own. Now, when I apply this to watching sports, it can still be, maybe not to the the most extreme extent of the thought, but it can still be really, really, really hard to engage with both of those things when the end comes. First part, that's easy, enjoy it as long as you have it. The journey, all that kind of stuff, great, two thumbs up. But when the end comes, and you got to let it go and not sit up all night thinking about it, that's hard. Especially if your team is continually in the mix to try and win a championship and they keep falling short. So this leads me into the NFL season. Because the NFL has significantly less games than other sports, hockey or basketball or baseball. And these margins are magnified, whether in the regular season or especially in the playoffs. So the first part of the equation, enjoy the NFL season, enjoy the journey, enjoy the career, all that kind of stuff. That's easy, right? The second part, when the time comes, let it go. Uh, That's where things get a little bit more murky. And I'm thinking about this yesterday as I'm watching a full slate of football. Because we see it every year in the playoffs, uh, team seasons end these playoff games that are decided by asinine stuff. The double doink. Ask Chicago Bears fans about how that filled. Uh, these Hail Marys or pseudo Hail Marys like Stephon Diggs beating the Saints. Uh, these missed pass interference calls like the Rams beating the Saints like I talked about last week on this show. There's so many margin plays. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and, on and, on and have millions of episodes just dedicated to, you know, what was weird. This playoff game was decided in essence by this specific play. There's so many of them. Margin plays that end up deciding the fate of a team in the playoffs. And I'm thinking about that yesterday as I'm watching these NFL games going into Green Bay and Chicago on Sunday night. Especially two games in particular in the afternoon slate. Because I'm watching them and thinking, uh, if this game was a playoff game and it was decided in these ways, I would have a field day talking about not only the margins that decide them, but the way that we decide to talk about this game after it is done. The first one that I was thinking about was Cincinnati Bengals hosting the San Francisco 49ers. Very important game for playoff purposes. Two teams that are on the fringe of the playoff picture in the AFC and the NFC. They're battling it out. A win's going to mean a whole hell of a lot to the team that ends up coming out, which is the San Francisco 49ers. Now, it's a tie game. The Bengals come roaring back at the end of regulation. Great throw from Burrow to Jamar Chase and the Niners get the ball with time dwindling and a chance to get into field goal range to win the game. And there are three plays that occur in the last 30 seconds of regulation that have my mind spinning like a top as I think about the way that a narrative can go, the way that a game can be won and lost, what all of it means, does it really even mean anything, or is this all just simple twist of fate? The first one is the Niners are trying to get into field goal range, and Garoppolo drops back to pass. He's trying to get one of those famous game-winning drives that all we love to talk about for quarterbacks that shows their might and their mettle and how they're built for the moment. He drops back. He doesn't read the coverage correctly. He throws a ball directly into the chest of a defender. Safeties rotate and one of them comes up. He jumps a route. I mean, it's right in his chest. He's presumably going to catch it and run off for a game-sealing pick six the other way with about 20 seconds to go. And he drops it. Just couldn't be a cleaner drop. Entire Bengals sideline. It's showing him on the replay and everybody's grabbing their head and running around. Oh no, that was the game. That was the game. That's the mistake that was gifted to us and we did not take advantage. So there's a a little mark, a little note to make of, hmm, your quarterback could make the worst possible play at the worst possible time. And in this case, because the defender didn't know how to catch. We'll just forget about it. Very next play. It's third down and long. He Makes a great throw that still requires an incredible stretching, diving catch from George Kittle, who is a freaking monster in this game, which Kittle proceeds to do. Jumps up, snags it, goes down, catches it first down, now in field goal range. Niners run a couple plays, just throw it out of bounds to waste the clock down, so it's the final play of the game. And now I'm going, oh, man, this is crazy. Polar opposites as far as the play from the quarterback specifically. on Back-to-back plays, each of which could and should and would have decided the game. One for good, one for bad. So now who trots in? Robbie Gould. He's coming to kick the field goal to win the game. Again, put a stamp on that game-winning quarterback drive narrative that we all love so much. And I'm always talking about, this is what actually goes into these drives. And Gould comes in, he just biffs the field goal. (laughs) So now we've ridden the roller coaster left and right and left and right. These margin plays of just, if this is a playoff game, you would be driven to insanity. No matter who you rooted for, no matter who you bet on, you'd just be driven to insanity because you'd realize this is what decides games. They go into overtime and the Bengals get a field goal. The Niners come down. Brandon Ayuk scores this touchdown that is not ruled a touchdown. Niners come out on top. We can talk about it moving forward of, oh yeah, the Niners are rounding in a form. Jimmy G, game-winning drive in overtime, all that kind of stuff. This is how we form opinions on quarterbacks. I want to make a quick note of that as I talk about just this process of the journey. This is a lot of the way that we form opinions on quarterbacks. It's not talking about each individual play that goes into a potential game-winning drive, a potential game-losing drive, overtime drive, anything like that. We usually just get to the end and go, oh, Jimmy G, he won an overtime. Oh, and he, and he put him in position to win at the end of the game. Oh, he, it must be, you know, a clutch performance there. It's never as cut and dry as we want to make it out to be. I would ask that everybody listening to this, please do not forget that. The other game that I was thinking about As I'm reflecting on the journey as a whole, why I think it's fulfilling to watch football every Sunday, and how the margins that decide it can be pretty exhilarating in the regular season, but if superimposed into a playoff game, they will drive you insane. The other game I was thinking about was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Buffalo Bills. Bills come roaring back from three-touchdown deficit in the second half. They're down inside the 10-yard line in the last minute of the game. They have a third and two. They're down by three points, and they run just... It's a one-on-one coverage on the left side. Stephon Diggs against Carlton Davis. They throw it to him, and it is very clearly pass interference. Tony Romo and Jim Nance are announcing the game, who they're always doing their best to try and never say anything negative about virtually anybody And even for them, it was really hard to to go, I think that one might have uh, it's probably in a, they might've, should've called this, which coming from Tony Romo is the same thing as me getting on air and just screaming for 20 straight minutes. This is pass interference. This is pass interference. This is pass interference. Just call it. It's easy. So instead of having first and goal from two yard line with three shots in regulation to win the game, Um, the Bills have to settle for a game-time field goal that sends it into overtime. Within overtime, it's interesting to make note uh, of what can decide these games because the Bills get the ball first, and on third down near about midfield, another play that involves Carlton Davis that most definitely could have been called pass interference was not called on third down. So now the Bills punt. So we've had two determinations by the referees that greatly have influenced the game up until this point. Margin plays. Remember, a lot of this stuff you literally cannot control. No matter how much we want to believe, Tom Brady can control everything. Or Aaron Rodgers can control everything. Or Jamie Garoppolo yesterday controlled everything. The Buccaneers get the ball. And because just the universe sometimes loves flipping two middle fingers right into your face, what happens? Buccaneers, they throw a long pass down the left sideline that maybe is pass interference, but maybe is not. I would say it was the least egregious of the three plays that I'm talking about. What do the rest decide to do? They call pass interference on this occasion. Just, again, it's the whims of a referee. What they think they see, what they see, uh, any of that kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff that greatly influences the outcome of a game. So... Big first down, 20-something yard penalty. A couple plays later, uh, touchdown on third down. Buccaneers win the game. Exhilarating day yesterday to watch, especially in the afternoon window for football as part of this journey that I savor and always make note of. This is why I kind of like doing this because these games are really fun and come down to the wire. And as long as my team isn't involved, I can always watch it and just go, ooh, this is... Pretty, pretty good theater. And the flip side of the coin is, if these were playoff games, oh man, I would not wish this on any of the losing fan bases. <laughs> so the NFL season is is nearing its conclusion. We're the midpoint of December, which is sad because football is going to leave our lives soon. That's a dark time for all of us. But it's also really cool because I'm getting greater context and really starting to clarify the journeys of the contenders that are at the top. And I want to make note of that and talk about that today before the end arrives for all of these teams but one. Because a lot of these journeys, I'm sure that fans of the teams would attest to them and me as a, a really big football fan and just somebody who likes to trace journeys over the course of time. A lot of this stuff has been very uh, fulfilling and interesting. And I like when we start to get the list near the end of the year, where I can say, I feel pretty confident that these are the teams that I think are capable of winning the Super Bowl. It's not always the same as it was at the start. And sometimes teams go on and off and on and off. And by the end of the season, I go, okay, okay. I think I grasp this team as a Super Bowl contender or as a team that is not capable of doing that. The the first team that I want to talk about when it comes to this journey, this idea of the journey and how it can be really interesting to watch as a fan is the Kansas City Chiefs team that was on everybody's list of Super Bowl contenders at the start of the season. And me, because I'm a dumbass, never forget that. I kind of left them for dead and said, I don't feel them. About probably a month and a half ago. Again, don't forget that I'm an idiot whenever I talk. That's something that should always be flagged within your mind. And about a month and a half ago, I I mistook a half-realized version of a team for the fully realized version. And that fully realized version, I don't believe we actually have have seen to the truest extent that it can be realized. But, but, since this time, the Chiefs have won six straight games. And the offense, the thing—the the one constant that we thought Kansas City would always have, even within that streak, it's not been to the standards of the Kansas City Chiefs. Both times they played the Raiders, including just barely on Sunday. Their offense has been a buzzsaw. But the other four games, it's been a slog. Beating the Packers with Jordan Love, that was just a barf fest. Beating the Giants on a Monday night, barf, barf, barf. However, you're starting to see a team that's realizing we are an actual team beyond just an explosive offense. Uh, If we're going to fulfill our destiny as we did two years ago, it can't just be Mahomes make us magic. We have to contribute in other areas. So on Sunday, great, 48 points. Uh, One of those is defensive touchdown. The offense, you see a lot of those flashes. You see Mahomes looking a lot more Mahomesy. You see less turnovers from the offense. You see some explosive plays downfield that Kansas City has really struggled to do this year. You see contributions from the backfield. Edwards O'Leary is looking good. Darrell Williams looking good. That's great. Uh, the Chiefs are going to need that to win, but that's the one area that you always kind of think, eh, you should be able to write the ship. You have incredible talent everywhere. One of the best quarterbacks in the league. One of the best play callers in the league. That's fine. What's been the real shock and as I make note of the actual journey of a season an area that I find to be interesting and another area that I'm an idiot is watching Kansas City's defense going from the league's worst through the first month and change of the season and turning into one of the league's best over the last six games. Now this is important to note, and if I do this again next year, reach through this microphone and slap me right in the face, because I already knew a truth about the Kansas City Chiefs defense, and especially about their defense coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo. They always follow a similar progression, whether that was when he was with the Giants and they were winning Super Bowls, or when he's been with the Kansas City Chiefs, and they really rounded into form two years ago, heading into the playoffs and then made a lot of plays that helped contribute to them winning the Super Bowl. Spagnola defenses usually follow this style of progression. They use the journey. They don't enter into a season in week 1 going this is who we are and this is what we will be and and if we do good great if we don't uh that's unfortunate because we're not here to to change over the course of the season we're not here to evolve. That's not how Spagnola defenses work. They're they are the, They work in the exact opposite manner. It's a continual tweaking. The journey of a regular season and especially near the end of it and what they are going to be coming to the playoffs, it's about tweaking. It's about experimenting. It's about realizing the best version of yourself, how to utilize personnel, what style of defense to run on any given play. It's about realizing those things by the end of the regular season and especially once you enter into the playoffs. Again, it's how they won the Super Bowl two years ago. The offense, they were great. Obviously, tip your hat to him, all that kind of stuff, but Super Bowl is not possible to win without contributions from all phases of the game, coaching, defense, special teams, and offense. So we're watching that progression within this journey of the Kansas City Chiefs. They've gone from the favorite in the league to maybe they're not even going to make the playoffs, back to I think when push comes to shove, this is... This is maybe the favorite in the AFC. And if you didn't want to say they were the favorite, you would choose another team. A team that has followed a pretty incredible journey in their own right, the New England Patriots. Talked a lot about them last week, especially their coach. And I don't particularly like them as a franchise, but I am in awe of them. And as I'm tracing journeys... And I'm watching one reappear that started two decades ago. It's kind of a surreal experience to think, how am I watching this happen again? 20 years after it happened the first time, 20 years ago, Patriots had a rookie quarterback and a stranglehold of a defense and a master game planner who was sitting there puppeteering everything. And now we're here in 2021. And I'm watching a rookie quarterback backed by a devastating defense, everything puppeteered by a master game planner. That's been the journey up until this point of the New England Patriots in this season. And they're a team that nobody on planet Earth would put on their short list of Super Bowl contenders at the start of this season. That's why another reason that I love the NFL so much. Very rarely in other sports do you just see these teams come out and go, oh, this team's pretty good. And then two weeks later, oh, this team's really good. And then two weeks later, I think this is a team that can win it all. You don't see that a lot in basketball. You don't see that a lot in baseball. Uh, The NFL has that every single year. Teams that come out of nowhere. And by season's end, you go, I realize what this team is, and I think they're good enough to win the Super Bowl. That is the New England Patriots right now. Pretty incredible journey to trace, even if it ends poorly. Speaking of teams who come out of nowhere, that have followed this path of just, yeah, whatever, you're kind of fun, you're cool, but you never really win, so we don't care a lot about you. The Arizona Cardinals, who as of this recording, they've not played their Monday night game against the LA Rams. So as of this recording, they sit as the number one seed in the NFC. They have the best record in football, 10-2. and pending tonight's game and much like the Patriots they have come out of left field where I think people for the first month of the season and the second month and maybe even into the third they kept waiting for ah oh, the I think the wheels have got to come off this is fun but the past has told us that Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, that's a cool combination, but it's not really a sustainable way of winning football games because it's more just predicated on Kyler making magic for this team. And now we're watching a team beyond Kyler Murray make us magic. That's how you turn into a Super Bowl contender. Uh, This team features... One of the most shocking turns from a defense that I can remember. I would never have said they're even going to probably be in the top half of the league coming in the season. Never would have expected the Cardinals defense to turn into what they are in present day. One of the league's best. One of the driving forces behind the team with, again, at the time of this recording, the league's best record. If I was mapping out a pathway for the Cardinals to be 10-2, and two, I would have said, Kyler's probably the MVP of football and he's lost his mind. And they've maybe diversified their offense a little bit more, which they have, you know, the running game. And that's incredible. Kyler obviously brings a lot of the math onto your side with that. But James Conner and Chase Edmonds and just the design behind how they run, that's been great. But the true journey of this football team so far this year is to see what they can be as a team and what they can be as a defense. Just this incredibly fast physical defense that's flying around and able to Stymie a lot of the ways that offenses want to play in present day. That's a cool journey. And as I think towards the end for everybody, but I think towards the ending of a season for the Arizona Cardinals, unless you're a huge pessimist, that just can't, the end just can't erase what we've witnessed so far, which has been a, a really enjoyable football team. One that even in the games Kyler has missed, three games, they went two and one with Colt McCoy as their starting quarterback because they understand how to run the football and they understand how to play defense. There's other teams obviously thrown into this mix uh, when it comes to tracing a journey. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I just talked about them against the Bills yesterday. I'm getting a very familiar feeling. I'll be honest with everybody. I said this going into last year's playoffs, and as the playoffs were taking place, I'm getting a very familiar feeling that this is the best team in football. They are the deepest team in football. They are the most talented team in football. They can hurt you in so many damn ways. Again, all these things I felt last year. And it turned, it, it, it turned itself into a Super Bowl victory for them. Their only weakness this year is the same as last year. It's just injuries at the wrong time, which is the weakness of every team. So at that point, I mean, if you're being logical about things, you know injuries will presumably happen at the same time, you know, that Tampa Bay can weather the storm in a lot of areas. So after watching them yesterday and just after watching them last season and and throughout the course of their journey this season, yeah, that's where I am. I think this is the best team in football. There's another team that's kind of coming out or come out of a little bit of left field, much like the Cardinals in the same conference, the Dallas Cowboys. I'm shocked by how enjoyable this team has become for me as a viewer. Despite the fact that Mike McCarthy is at the controls and just trying to grind them into the mud. Despite the efforts of their own head coach, this has turned into a really enjoyable team. They have a very diverse offense with Dak and all those weapons with the running game of Zeke and Tony Pollard, although he didn't play yesterday against Washington. But what's been shocking is that, especially since Dak's injury about the midpoint of the season, what has really risen up and been one of the driving forces behind this team is their defense. Much like Arizona. You need a full team to win, and we're seeing a lot of that from the Dallas Cowboys. They got playmakers on that side of the ball that I wasn't fully aware existed. You knew DeMarcus Lawrence could be good. Randy Gregory's made a star turn, which makes me happy as a man who rooted for him at Nebraska and saw a lot of untapped potential. And this season, I think we're all getting a bigger grasp of what he can be when properly unleashed in an NFL defense. His interception yesterday against Taylor Heineke was an incredible play by anybody, much less this huge hulking edge rusher who's jumping up and swatting it down and then has enough skill to pluck that out of air and just really cool stuff. His own journey that I've watched back from Nebraska and Bo Pelini when he was one of the stars of the team and one of the great edge rushers of the last 10 years for Nebraska and then seeing him go through all these personal troubles in the NFL and now maybe hopefully turn a corner and that's a pretty cool thing to be a part of. Fulfilling, right? Even if it ends with oh, the Cowboys lost to the Rams in the playoffs or somebody like that. Micah Parsons on this defense who was out of his mind yesterday, who's suddenly part of the defensive player of the year conversation. Never would have guessed that because when the Cowboys drafted him in the top 10, everybody made fun of him and said, you guys are dumb as hell. You're drafting a linebacker who's not an edge rusher in the top 10. That's just not that valuable of a position. As it turns out, we were wrong. (laughs) And somehow Jerry Jones, who's 682 years old, was right because Micah Parsons actually is so talented that you can literally line him up anywhere and he will be almost impossible to stop. They've lined him up an edge through injuries and he's turned into one of the best pass rushers in football, which is insane because it's not something he was doing at Penn State. He's making plays all over. They were showing a montage yesterday during that Washington game of just the ways that Micah Parsons can play football. Just look at the versatility of this guy. And so they're plucking plays where he's in charge of covering the tailback out of the backfield and also being a spy on the quarterback and also covering a receiver downfield and also rushing the passer, just going play by play by play by play by play and showing. Yeah, he actually did this thing at a really high level. Then he did this opposite thing at a really high level. Then he did this opposite thing at a really high level. It was it was really cool to watch. And something that's also been cool to watch as the season has gone on for Dallas. Just this star turn seemingly out of left field for what I thought at the start of the season was supposed to be a talented inside linebacker. So now we arrive at the Sunday night game and my favorite team, my favorite player, Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers. And I've spoken about this before on this show. Um, I'm writing a very long piece that I hope to release pretty soon. Uh, I've spoken and written about, I don't take um, this particular thing for granted. It probably comes from just living for longer. I think that's naturally becomes a part of your life the older you get. And watching a person's career from beginning to near the end, as I have with Aaron Rodgers. So I don't take that for granted. I don't take for granted being able to watch Rodgers still play at an MVP level because we thought the end was already there three years ago. Uh, The last season with Mike McCarthy, it just couldn't have looked more disjointed and disconnected. And a lot of the blame was placed on Rogers' feet. And everybody said he's just old and he's surly and he's not a team guy and all the criticism that people like to lobby at rogers that 98% of it I don't really think is rooted in reality. So they fire Mike McCarthy and they hire Matt Fleur and Rodgers in this offense for the last two years and change has been everything I have ever wanted. Just something that provides a backbone to this team that did not exist for years. The backbone prior was Aaron Rodgers' Make Us Magic, a lot of what I was talking about with Kyler in Arizona, which usually means you're a 6-10 and team or an 8-8 and team, as we've seen with virtually every other quarterback in the history of football that doesn't have a great supporting cast, doesn't have a great defense, doesn't have great special teams, doesn't have a good coaching staff. That's usually your ceiling now. It's a testament, in my opinion, to Rodgers' transcendent talent that the Packers were always in the playoffs and always floating around and tricking people into thinking they were contenders, especially in 2015 and 16 and 17, because that's not usually how this works. But now we've seen what the backbone of a team can be if that style of talent is combined with a play caller and a head coach who understands what are the best positions for everyone on this offense to be in in order to help us win. So even this year, in a year that Green Bay is being annihilated by injuries, annihilated, this backbone, this Aaron Rodgers-Matt Lafleur combination it has been enough to have Green Bay in contention for the number one seed in the NFC. They've been one of the best teams in football all year long, despite this just constant steady stream of injuries, which continued Sunday night. It's truly amazing stuff. Uh, and and a thing that I'm really uh, honored to be a part of as a tracer of journeys. Because the last two years and change has been one of my favorite stretches as a Packers fan. Maybe my favorite stretch, despite the fact that it doesn't include the Super Bowl victory that 2010 did. But what this last 2019, 2020, 2021 stretch has has given me is something that I thought maybe wasn't coming back. It was, or uh, actually never existed in the first place. It was Rodgers balling out inside of a competent, well-structured offense. That's what I'm now being able to watch uh, every single week. It's incredibly fulfilling, including last night when they're just slapping the Chicago bears around every which way. Now, as I think about the journey and I think about the end and I just take momentary pause, it's interesting to think about how my favorite game this year for the Packers, but for Aaron Rodgers, which they're synonymous in my mind at this point, My favorite game of this year was a loss. Uh, It was against the Minnesota Vikings. Greg Joseph kicks a last-second field goal to win. But it was a game that Rodgers was just out of his mind in, especially in the second half when Green Bay's down and they got to come back. And he's just making these throws that they were very reminiscent of what 2011 MVP Aaron Rodgers used to do, which was – literally make magic out of out of nothing. So the play Minnesota they've they've defended this well. Rodgers it's going to take a 10 out of 10 throw for us to even get 8 yards or 20 yards or whatever and he's just doing that over and over and over. Now, the defense was breaking down a lot in that game and that's ended up being ultimately the Packers' demise. But even within that game, I'm a little bit frustrated by the Packers losing but I'm also taking note of this journey that I have been a part of as a fan. And I'm thinking, man, uh, sucks the Packers lost this. But in 2018, if you would have told me that I would get more of this Aaron Rodgers, even if it meant that the Packers are going to lose this game or if they're going to lose in the playoffs every single year, as they have done so far, I, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. Again, even if the end of every season so far has been heartbreak because it leads to games and moments that I, I really cherish as a person who loves the journey. Like last night against the Chicago Bears, team that Aaron Rodgers says, I own you, and he does. Last night, the Packers special teams were an absolute mess. It, it might be the worst special teams performance I can remember off the top of my head from an NFL football team in the confines of an individual game. And I know a lot about poor special teams. I watch the Nebraska Cornhuskers every single week. And last season was the most putrid display of special teams I've ever seen in my entire life. So I understand what bad special teams looks like. That was all night last night, whether it was giving up punt returns for touchdowns or Malik Turner trying to return a kick for Green Bay and the ball's going out of bounds and he runs and bats it out of bounds. So the Packers are... Coffin cornered at their own five yard line instead of starting at the 40. There's just plays nonstop. Mari Rodgers muffs a punt and luckily it's given back to Green Bay because Chicago just runs out of bounds for no reason. seemed like every time Chicago wanted to return the ball for 40 yards on a punt or on a kick, they would. Uh, The Packers offensive line, which has been decimated by injuries all year long. They have another injury within that game in the second quarter. Billy Turner, their starting right tackle, goes down with a knee. He leaves. He's not coming back. So at that point in time, Packers are trailing. Special teams is a mess. The offensive line is missing four out of their five starters. David Bakhtiari, he is not there. Eldon Jenkins, he is not there. Josh Myers at center, he is not there. And Billy Turner at right tackle, he is not there. Their entire offensive line, save for one person, the person who least matters, they're all gone. And the Packers are trailing 24 to 14 after... Putt return touchdown by Jakeem Green. Setting up for a game where I'm just like, I can't believe the Packers are going to lose this. This is so stupid. But what ends up mattering in this game? That backbone. It's Aaron Rodgers, the talent. And it's Matt LaFleur, the game planner, and the person who understands the flow of the game and how to put Rodgers in unison with Rodgers and his mind in position to succeed. So Rodgers ends up throwing for 340 yards and four touchdowns, no picks on the game. Just another immaculate performance in a lifetime of immaculate performances. And after the first two drives of the game for their offense, we see everything click into place for this union. This understanding that is required from Quarterback and play caller on how do we navigate this game based upon our own personnel right now and what the opposition has at their disposal. I talked about this a little bit when they played the Rams a few weeks ago, and it was a masterpiece of a game from these two particular dudes, Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur, because they're going against one of the most fearsome defensive fronts. They knew they could not block because they had nobody there to block. It's all a bunch of practice squad and backups playing offensive line. And so they said, all right, we're going to have to play a little bit different from how we want to play. But I think this will put us in best position to succeed. And the best part is Aaron Rodgers. We know that you can succeed in virtually any circumstance. They leaned into that last night against Chicago. We got to lean into the quick passing game. We don't have time to let routes develop downfield unless they are based off of play action. So it's going to be three step drops and get the ball out of your hands gonna be having to hit slants and quicker routes, which maybe you don't necessarily want to run every single play, but we got to start doing something to slow down their ability to rush the passer because we cannot block them. <laughs> and then off of that, we can start hammering Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. Get the run game established. Okay. Four yards, five yards, six yards. Let them know they cannot rush the passer on every single play. And then off of that, especially these two things, we can start setting up play action. We can set up these gorgeous Rodgers play fakes that look like he's acting up on Broadway. One one in particular in the uh, first half where he fakes it and he's standing there for, it feels like two seconds, and then he rolls out and hits Mercedes Lewis. And Collinsworth is gushing about it. Ah, oh, you don't see this kind of stuff. But it tied into the larger theme of the game and one that I found to be just awesome and exhilarating as a tracer of journeys because I've seen this build up over the last few years with LaFleur and with Rogers. Just we understand our opponent. We understand really who we have at our disposal on offense. So let's try and make the best of those two situations. Last night, anything we can do to prevent Chicago from knowing the exact downs that they can simply rush the passer and cave in our offensive line. That's what they understood. And they did a masterful job of of eliminating Chicago's ability to know the downs. They could just simply rush the passer. And if they did know the down, Green Bay was saying, it's a three-step drop. You're not going to have time to hit Aaron Rodgers. It's an incredible journey. Again, The the end is not yet here. It will presumably strike at the most inopportune time and probably involve Green Bay special teams. I've been saying that all year, whether it's Mason Crosby, whether it's a coverage unit, whether it's just stupid margin stuff that decides the outcomes. That's looming. But the journey is pretty incredible the last two plus years. Especially under center, Aaron Rodgers, who is, he is the MVP of football. I feel very confident saying that. He will not win the MVP this year because a lot of people, especially media personalities who vote on it, are mad about how he handled the COVID immunization stuff. Um, I think that's more of a commentary on how awards are decided and the inherent biases that everybody brings to the table regardless of how much they claim think that's probably the most revealing uh, part of that whole situation to me as a person who likes to unravel the strings and go, why do we act and think in this specific manner? But despite that, Aaron Nodgers has been the MVP of football this year, whether when he's played or the one game that he was forced to sit because of COVID restrictions. And Jordan Love came in and the Packers offense with love at home, looked like uh, an eighth-grade offense. So the the journey is winding its way down, obviously, both for this season, both for his career. But I wanted to pause, to take note that regardless of what happens, the end does not define the journey because the journey gives us stuff like the Minnesota game earlier this season, like Chicago last night. And if you can't enjoy that, even if it never amounts to another Super Bowl victory, why would you even watch this sport? Thank you for listening to Sports with Chris Rawl. If you have any themes you would like me to explore, like to contact me and connect in any way, please email me at chris at ceo.com. Again, thanks for listening.